thing for yourself. And so God says, I have graced you. I've given you ability to go beyond who you are. And so God's word, God will grace his word. God will bring his word to a place in our life. He said that I will watch over it to make sure it is performed. In other words, we can take God at his word. God is a man of his word. When God speaks, he said, it will not return to me void, but it will accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper in the thing whereto I have sent it. Amen? Thank God for that. Psalm one, excuse me, Psalm 19.10. More to be desired are your words than gold. Yes, more than much fine gold, your words are also sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Job 23.12. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Psalm 19, 7-14. The law or word of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So the three things, I love this. Number one, one of the scriptures says that the Word of God will convert our soul. Romans 12, 2 says, don't, be, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let yourselves be transformed and remolded by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove for yourselves what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. He's telling us to renew our mind by the Word of God. Very familiar passage of Scripture. However, the Word says that the Bible, the Word of God, can convert our soul. Now, we don't get our soul mixed up with our spirit and, and think that they're one and the same because they're not. Remember, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.23, we are a spirit. We possess a soul and we live in a body, right? Our spirit contacts God. Our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. And our body contacts the physical world. So we're a three-part being, if you want to call it that. And so... We are spirit. Who we really are is our spirit. But our soul can even be converted by the Word of God. In other words, we have to renew our mind by the Word of God, converting or having a changing of the mind, or repentance, if you want to say, of the mind. How many has ever, and we've done this so many times, and I'm sure I'll probably get a lot of hands, that you thought one thing about God or about the Bible or about life or whatever it may be, and then you get a revelation of God's Word and it completely changes your mind about it. Those are great moments for us as believers because, again, how we believe and what we believe is how we're going to live. And so once we get the Word of God in us, the true Word of God, it changes how we can even live. And so as it, it converts our soul. And as it converts our soul, it begins to convert our life. This is the reason why I think it's so important that we preach about God's grace and His righteousness uh, probably more than, than most because... The more we get into our heart and into our mind that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, then it converts our soul, which converts our life. Do you see that? Again, preaching about hellfire, brimstone, and sin all the time, what's that going to do? That's only going to convert our soul, if you want to say, to think nothing but about hellfire, brimstone, and sin, and everything else. And so that's the only thing we focus on. But as we convert our soul, our mind, will, and emotions to the Bible and to what God says about you and what God says about Christ and what God says about you in Christ, it converts everything. It converts our soul. It converts our life. It converts our actions. It converts our speech. It converts everything. 
But I love this too, being that our souls are mind, will, and emotions. The Word of God can also convert or change our emotions. Okay, let me say that again. God's Word can convert or change our emotions. It can. You say, well, what do you say about that? Well, take one who's depressed and begin to find out that the joy of the Lord is their strength. And they actually find true joy in Jesus and find out why they have joy in Jesus. And I don't mean just a happy. I mean a serious, a spiritual joy. Not a, an emotion, but a nature. Of knowing that I have the joy of the Lord, regardless of my emotions, the Word says that I have the joy of the Lord. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. And so that means that if I'm a believer, the Spirit of God lives in me, then that means that I'm growing fruit right now. And that fruit is joy. And I've got joy. And so if I've got joy, then that changes the way I'm supposed to be thinking. I don't have to be depressed. I don't have to be broken down. I don't have to be negative. I've got joy. Right? You might not feel like you've got joy. You might not think you've got joy. But if the Word says you have joy, and you've got revelation that you have joy, then you can tell yourself you got joy. Some of y'all need to get joyful right now. <laughs> Amen. Another fruit is peace. He said... That's the fruit of the Spirit. You've got the Spirit of God in you. You've got peace. You say, but you don't understand what I'm going through. I understand that. But we're not talking about your circumstances or your, your emotions. We're talking about His fruit. He said you've got peace. And so if you've got peace, He says it's a peace that passes all understanding. So you've got peace. That's what He said you've got. So knowing the fact that in Christ I've got peace then I begin to let that peace take over my emotions. Emotions are great. God gave you emotions. If we're not careful, one thing that we can do in Christianity is think that to be spiritual, we've got to suppress our emotions. Suppress our emotions. Then we're supposed to walk around like we're stuck up. That we have no emotions at all. That if you, that if you share any emotion, that you're not spiritual. Well, first of all, that's just ridiculous. God created your emotions. Right? Oh, come on, y'all. <laughs> Amen. He created your emotions. It's okay to be sad sometimes. It's okay to, to be happy. It's okay to, to feel emotions. Guys, it's okay to be emotional. I'm a man. Then you walk around that corner, you're like, oh, God, that hurts so bad. You know when you stub that toe, they ain't no, they ain't no holding that back. Or you step on that sharp toy in the middle of the night. Right? Sometimes you get startled. You think of the toys in the night. There's nothing worse. I'd rather stop on a sharp toy, step on a sharp toy in the middle of the night, than step on them toys that talk to you. That throws you off right there. You get wake up middle of the night, gotta go to the bathroom, you're on halfway there, sip on them toys, you go back to bed and you <laughs> ain't gotta go no more. <laughs> 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 
Amen. Stay spiritual. <laughs> Emma's got some of those talking babies. <laughs> you step on them things and says, Want to be my friend? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Come out, devil. <laughs> Amen. It's okay. God created your emotions. But God did not create your emotions to control you, but you control your emotions. And so knowing that we have peace and knowing that we have joy, knowing that we have long-suffering, patience. Isn't that good? He said you've got patience. Well, I don't feel like i got patience. Right? It's, I mean, no matter how patient you are, you'll have opportunities in life to be impatient. Amen? But, there's times, there's some people say, I just have no patience. Well, he said you've got patience. Love. Love is not an emotion. Love is a nature. And he said this. He said you've got love. That's a fruit. And I'm not really trying to get into the fruits of the Spirit, but since y'all decided to go this way, we'll stay with it for a second. Love is not an emotion. Love is not up and down. Love is not, well, uh, love is not elementary school dating. Dating. I remember one time, uh, this is kind of irrelevant, but it's still relevant. Uh, when I was, before I moved to Oklahoma to go to Bible college, I had a, a home church then, and the pastor, he was just, he was snotting, spitting, preaching his heart out. He had a little girl who probably wasn't more than seven, eight years old. And I had a little cousin that was about the same age. Well, they were boyfriend, girlfriend. Church boyfriend, girlfriend, I guess. And he was preaching. He kicked his shoe, came off, and went this far from that little boy's face. He was sitting on the front row. And uh, he went down. He said, oh, so it's okay. She's dating my daughter. He's dating my daughter. It's all right. Y'all get it tomorrow. Anyway, I thought that was kind of funny, but that's fine. But listen. It's not the elementary school date, and that's where I was going with it, if you catch it. Y'all need to get saved this morning. In other words, this ain't, I like you today, I don't like you tomorrow. This ain't, you know, check yes or no. They check no. Well, I ain't like you anyway. You remember, guys, that was our excuse. You know, check yes or no, she checked no. I ain't like you anyway. I was a joke. But if she would have said yes, baby, I love you. But it's not that. Love is constant. Love never changes. God never changes. And he said that that love that has been, that the, the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. You've got love. So it's not an up and down thing. It's consistent. It's constant. It never changes. And God says you have that love on the inside of you. You have that peace. Those things can change your emotions. It converts the soul. The Word of God makes wise the simple. So how many wives think their husbands need to read more of the Bible? <laughs> how long, Proverbs 122, will you, will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? The Bible defines simple as loving or being loyal to simplicity, mocking and hating the knowledge of God. 
Let me say that again. The Bible defines simple as loving or being loyal to simplicity, mocking and hating the knowledge of God. He, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, I believe, says that my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. In other words, what you don't know can hurt you in your walk with God. That's the reason why it's very important for us to know who we are and know who Christ is in our relationship with Him. It's very important so that we can walk in that knowledge and we can walk in His ways. We can walk in His Word, walk in His power. And the Bible says destruction is often the result of the wrong path taken. Rejoice in the heart. The Bible says letting the Word of God govern your life will cause you to live out of your heart and not by circumstances. I think it's Proverbs that constantly warns us to protect our heart, to guard our heart. For out of it springs forth the issues of life. He says, guard your heart. Be careful what you allow in your heart. Be careful what you allow in your mind. Be careful what you allow. Have, put up a gate. Put up a, a wall. Put up something there. Make sure you guard what's there. Because whatever you're full of, what comes out. Okay, and there was two gentlemen. Uh, maybe I shared the story before. I can't remember. They were sitting at a table. And as they were sitting at a table, waitress came by, asked them what they wanted to order at a restaurant. They were at a table at a restaurant. Waitress came by and said, what can I get you guys? And they both, both placed their order. And she came back, and she spilled coffee on one of the gentlemen. And he got mad and just exploded at the, the waitress. Obviously, the gentleman didn't attend Living Word Family Church. Because we will tar and feather you if we find out you treated a waitress that way. We do it in grace, in a Christian way. <laughs> and, uh, and after the waitress walked away crying, he looked at the other gentleman and he said, Man, I have no idea why I just did that. The other gentleman didn't say anything. He just grabbed a pitcher of water and he just poured the glass of water all the way to the brim until it was almost overflowing, but it was just kind of sitting there. He said, what are you doing? And the man just smacked the table and just spilled everywhere and then spit all over the guy. He said, now i got coffee spit on me. Now i got water all over me. Why would you do that? He said, because whatever you're full of is what comes out. And I think we're, we can all be guilty of that if we're not careful. What are we putting in? One time when I was a youth pastor, I did something where we had blenders. And in one blender, I just put strawberries and bananas and, you know, all kind of fruit and good stuff in there and blended it up and said, how many would drink this? And everyone was like, good, it's great. Then I started doing the same thing on the other one. I started putting in strawberries and stuff in the other one. But then I started adding in dirt and other stuff, too, that you wouldn't eat. <laughs> you started adding to it, and I, and I blended it up. And I said, how many would eat this? And they said, well, no, I wouldn't. You know, nobody wanted to come drink this one. And I said, well, it's got a lot of the same stuff as the other one. Yeah, but it's got such and such in it. Well, that's true. So what you put in is very important because it can corrupt everything else, no matter how good it is. Right? <laughs> I mean, you can make the best meal you want to make, but if you throw a little bit of dirt in it, you cook the dirt in it, Sometimes the five-second rule just don't work. All right? I still never understood that. 
Here you go. <laughs> what is that? But every parent's done it. Don't you lie. Don't you lie. Every parent's done it. You know that, that baby's firstborn, passy drops, you and they're sterilizing it, you, you know, doing everything you can by the time, you know, several months roll around, you like, <laughs> You drop it 900 times, and you're like, drop it again and see what happens. <laughs> Right? Don't lie about it. I never did that to my kid. Yeah, right. Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, or the outcome of following the path leads to death. How many has ever started doing something that you thought was right and ended up being wrong? I think that happens to us guys quite a bit. We think that we're doing the right thing, but we find out we did the wrong thing. All right? We thought we had a good idea. I'm going to do such and such here at the house. And you do it, your wife gets home and says, I didn't want you to do that. Or that's not the way it was supposed to have been done. You were trying to do the initiative. You take the initiative, right? Try to do something nice. It still wasn't right. Praise God. But you get the joy of redoing it. Amen? Praise the Lord. Okay, I guess I'm the only one. But there are also sometimes if we... Step away from the Word of God and begin to go down our own path and begin doing our own thing in our own strength. A lot of the times what can happen is, is we end up in a bigger mess than when we started. In other words, if we continue to learn how to trust God over trusting ourselves. Because here's the thing that, that gets me. If we're already in a mess, then obviously we shouldn't trust ourselves to get us out of it. Right? A lot of times... Because we're the one who put ourselves in the mess. So we need to learn how to trust God and take Him at His word to get us to a different place. And God wants to get us to that good place. Uh, you know, take it just like a GPS system. <clears throat> how many ever had a GPS and you typed in the address you wanted to go? And your GPS told you to turn somewhere and you're like, I ain't turning there. I know this place better than the GPS. And so you just took your own little way and found out you got lost. I know better than this GPS. Now, I've had a GPS lead me to the wrong place, but I'm just saying 99% of the time you say, okay, I'm going to take this route regardless of what the GPS says because I know better. Then you find yourself lost. And what do you have to do? Go back to the GPS and try to figure out how to get out of the mess you're in. God's kind of the same way. Sometimes we get ourselves in a mess. Sometimes we take a different route than what God may be speaking in our heart or states by His Word. And what do we do? We have to go back and say, God, I need help. You know what God says? Reroute. God wants to get you back to that place. God is not saying, well, you, you lost now. You just have to deal with it. God's even one of those really friendly friends or really friendly family members say, hey, you know what? You can't find it. I'll meet you at the road. How many thankful when people do that for you? I'll meet you at the road. I'll wave you down. They're still inside the road just waving the arms like a crazy person. And you try to drive by like you don't know them. But then God says, I'll meet you at the road. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get you there if you trust me. Take me at, his, at my word. And the word of God provides truth. John 14, excuse me, 17, 14 through 20. I'm going to read this in close. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world, and more than I am of the world. 
My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify or set them apart from the world by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself. That they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who, who will believe in me through their message. Jesus said, your word is truth. You know, in a world that we have today, with as many philosophies, as many religions, as many systematic belief systems and governments that we have in our world, we can get so boxed into our own culture that we don't even see outside of it. But out of all these things in our world, there's only one absolute truth, and that is Jesus. He's the only absolute. You'll find truth. Now you hear me out with this, okay? You will find truth in every religion. You'll find bits of truth. And what I mean by that is you go to Chinese proverb, or not even say Chinese proverb, but you go to, a, a, let's say, a, a Buddhist proverb, and, and I'm just throwing this out there. Touch hot stove, you burn hand. Well, that's the truth, right? That's what I mean. You'll find bits of wisdom that are relevant to you, but there's only one absolute capital T truth, and that is Jesus. He's the only absolute. That's the reason why that all roads cannot lead to one God. There's only one provision. There's only one way, and that is through Jesus. He's the only absolute that we have. Only one. And He is truth. And His Word, who is Jesus, is truth. His Bible, the Word, who is a confirmation of Christ, is truth. The only absolutes we have as believers. The only absolutes that we have in life. It's Jesus. And so we should trust more in the absolute than the obsolete. We need to trust in what cannot be broken and cannot be moved and cannot be altered than the things that can. Because the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so if we could see it, taste it, touch it, hear it, or smell it, it is subject to change. And so if it's in your life, if there's a situation in life, and you could see it, taste it, touch it, hear it, or smell it, it's capable of change. Which means God's Word that never changes can make changes in our life and can frame and form our world and frame and form our life as we trust Him. And as John said in closing, Lucy, if you don't mind, do you mind playing a little bit? John said it this way. He said, this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. In other words, He's saying this is the confidence that we have in Him. Why? Because we abide in Him. We have confidence in Him because we know Him. He's the only absolute. We have confidence in Him. And once we have confidence in Him, this is the confidence we have that if anything we ask according to His will. What's His will? His Word. We know we have the petitions that we desire to Him. 
whatever we request, whatever we stand on when it comes to God's Word, He says, you know that you'll have whatever you ask. When have we trusted God for His Word lately? To take a stand beyond our circumstances or take a stand beyond our situation and say, God, I'm going to trust You. I'm going to trust Your Word regardless of what I'm feeling, regardless of what I'm seeing, regardless of what I'm going through, because I'm walking by faith and not by sight. Where does faith come? Faith is present where the will of God is known. Once you know God's Word, your faith is an automatic reaction to knowing God and His Word. Faith is not an obstacle to overcome, church. It's not a legalistic format. It's not even a 12-step formula. Faith is a natural or supernatural response to the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And once we know Him and we're confident in Him, our faith begins to work as we trust Him. And as I've said many times, well, what will happen if I trust His Word and it don't work? What if it does? And it changes everything about your situation. If you don't trust God, what's going to happen? You're going to stay in the mess. Nothing's going to happen. So if you're going to stay there, possibly get worse, you're going to try to get yourself out the best you can. But what if you begin to trust God and His Word beyond your situation and let God move on your behalf? You see, God can only do in your life what you allow Him to do. You see that? There's so many things God wants to do in our life, but we're the one who's limiting Him, not Him limiting us. God already said that asking you shall receive that your joy may be full. He already said that anything you ask or prayer believing that you shall receive. But you know His Word. So this morning, let's take a stand. And this week, let's try to take something this week. Let's take a challenge. And this week, think about something or find something. Or if there's an area in your life that you say, I need to believe God out of this. I need God's Word on this situation. Then you go to your Bible and you find out what God says about it. In context, find out what he says about it, and that becomes your spiritual food for that week. That's what you think on. That's what you, that's, that's what you take in all the time. That's what you put in front of you. That's it. Even if you've got to turn off the TV sometimes, even if you've got to put the newspaper down, even if you've got to take time away from something and just concentrate on God's Word. He said, God, let this be my focus this week. As I trust you and I believe your word over this situation. Whether it's healing, whether it's provision, whether it's God working something out in a family, a relationship, whatever it may be. Let God begin to work in these things. Let God begin to show up and show out in our life. Amen. Because God said all things are possible to him that believes. Amen. Every head bow and every eye close just for a moment.